0: Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR, The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now, here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello, I'm Katie Kempner. Today is Tuesday, February 26th, and you are listening to The Hook, where each week I talk to advertising, branding, and public relations insiders who are both leading and covering the industry. Hopefully, by listening to these thought leaders, you will find inspiration and new ideas and have some fun along the way. Today, my guest is Jeremy Lloyd from Marketing Magazine. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you?
1: I'm quite well, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, thank you for taking the time. Now, I have to ask you this right off the bat. It's sure. Jeremy with an O in there. Is that a Canadian thing?
1: Uh, it's not a Canadian thing. It's a My Parents Are Strange thing. Um, <coughs> they were conflicted between Jerome and Jerry, from what I remember, and uh, I guess they just wanted me to be a little bit unique, so hence the O.
0: So is it Jeromey, really?
1: No, I just pronounce it Jeremy regularly, but okay. I mean... It- I have friends who call me Jerome to bug me. So if you want to bug me, that's fine. You can call me Jerome. <laughs>
0: so just for the record, if you want to get in touch with Jeremy, it's Jeremy with an O. <laughs> no.
1: Exactly. Jeremy with an O,
0: Lloyd. <laughs> exactly. So this so Marketing Magazine, for anyone who doesn't know, is a, a Canadian magazine, and I guess it's really Canada's answer to ad age. Am I right about that?
1: Yeah, that, that's a pretty good comparison. Um, I mean, we cover as many different fingers of the marketing uh, industry as we can, uh, ad agencies, uh, the marketers themselves on the brand side, PR, and uh, as much innovation in that space as we can cover. So uh, we're not quite as big as ad age, mostly because Canada is not as big as the United States, but um, that's that's certainly a, a fair comparison to make.
0: So now, are you guys mostly interested in stuff that happens in Canada, or are you also interested in stuff that happens, what do they say, across the pond? Across
1: the pond, yeah. We, we focus on Canada. I mean, the, the industry here is, is growing, and uh, you know, our readers are primarily Canadian readers, uh, so that, that's our focus. But we do look south of the border. We do look at global trends uh, in as much as we think they're going to impact what the people in this country are doing. Um, and generally, it helps us you know, better understand the industry as a whole when we're watching what's going on in the States, what's going on in Europe, that sort of thing.
0: Which I think actually is Europe when they say across the Ponte. Yeah, I'm all mixed up. Okay, never. <laughs> that's okay. I knew
1: what you meant. That was all. M-
0: moving right along.
1: <laughs> sure. So what,
0: make, what, what makes a topic compelling enough for you to write about? Uh,
1: well, I mean, I, I think hard news is always the first thing I, I look for. Um, which, and hard news to me is always something that's brand new, unseen, um, or just uh, out of the ordinary. Um, beyond that. Um, so, so that, that generally covers things like innovative strategies and technologies and things like that. Uh, we're also interested in just kind of being really entrenched in the industry, talking about the people and the personalities, uh, who's moving where, uh, from agency to agency, um, who's spending more, who's spending less. Is this an interesting ad? Is this an interesting strategy? Are companies changing? Thing, things, like that is kind of the, the big middle of the target for us, um, Beyond that, we tend to look at uh, business in general, um, but really it, it just has to be something that we feel our readers are going to latch on to right away as, this is something I need to know now.
0: mm mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of competition?
1: Uh, there is some competition here. Um, actually, you know, everyone here reads all the industry papers, so that's going to include Ad Age. It's going to include Campaign from, from the UK. There's another mm-hmm. Canadian title called Strategy. Um, so th- those are a competition, but also I mean I think there's an understanding that everybody's going to read all of them anyway,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but there's certainly a competition for us in terms of selling advertising, uh, getting scoops on uh, stories, that sort of thing.
0: I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, the the web and marketing magazine on the internet and also about blogging because sure. I, I know you do you know you do blogging for for marketing magazine, and the internet brings, I mean, the Internet brings a whole new way and space to delve into stories. But it's also different, I think, because it gives journalists a chance to bring more of their own voice into a blog. I'm kind of interested in how that changes the way you do your job, if at all.
1: Uh, It definitely changes the way I do my job. Um, From a a writing perspective, um, when you're dealing with the print magazine, there's a lot of limiting factors, uh, primarily space. Uh, what you know? How, my, how many words can fit on a page? So there's always information that's that's relevant to what you're writing about that there's just not room for on the page. The blog becomes a a possible venue for that, um, and also as you say, you know, you want to cultivate uh, a good magazine will cultivate a sense of voice uh, and expertise, and the best way to do that is to showcase your writers and editors in a lot of different venues to show that they actually know what they're talking about. Uh, so when you have a blog. You have the ability to well, you're providing a venue for those people to to I guess show off a little bit would, would it would be an unfair way of putting it, but it, I mean it, we can kind of work out things we're thinking about and and make public our our process um, mm-hmm. and let people it, it it lets the readers judge our work uh, from with a little bit more information, um, but it also you know it does kind of contribute to that sense that that we are experts in our field and that we, we do actually think about things five minutes after we file stories.
0: (laughs) But now blogging is kind of a a scary thing to, and not just reporters blogging, but but blogging in general is kind of a scary thing for PR people because you do have such a chance. Somebody does have a chance to put their voice so in and their opinion so in. I have a question. If if you had blogged on something that, you know, turns out to be incorrect, what would, what, what would be the right strategy for a PR person, just from your point of view? Would it be to get in touch with you and let you know it's incorrect, or then do I run the danger as a PR person that you're going to put whatever I wrote to you up on your blog? <laughs>
1: um, I mean, because this is
0: something that, that PR people, you know, spend a lot of very worried time thinking about.
1: Wow, really? Uh, I would have known that. I, I mean, if, if we run something uh, that people feel is incorrect or is objectively incorrect, um, I, I, yeah, I, I think getting in touch with this by whatever direct, the most direct means possible—be that a comment on a blog, be that uh, a phone call, whatever—I um, mean, it, reporters have to stand by what they've what they've written. The, there's just no two ways about it, and uh, it's. I think it's. I personally feel it's fair game uh, for someone to point out in 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 a public venue, uh, you know, mistakes that were made. That said, I mean you do, if you're going to do that in a public venue, you have to be ready to be proven wrong yourself. Yeah. Um, but there, there are opportunities to do this in, in non-public venues. I mean, if, if people want to have a conversation off the record uh, about a story, provided everybody involved in that conversation agrees to do that, uh, I think that's a legitimate way to do it. Um, but it. But again, you have to, everybody has to be on board with that. Everyone involved has to agree that it's off the record. Because I think generally reporters feel that, you know, people know what their job is, and if you're speaking to a reporter, what you're saying is fair game to put, end up, uh, you know, in publication in some some destination, be it the blog, be it the magazine, what have you.
0: So do you, is anything ever really off the record, though? You know, because I always kind of say, well, you know, if you're, if you're going to say something to a reporter, you have to, you know, think that you're, even if you say, oh, Look, this is not this is off the record. I mean, it, it could be not for attribution, but is it ever truly off the record, or is that something that, as a PR person, you should not expect when talking to a reporter? If you say something, it really is out there.
1: I see. I, I think I, maybe I'm an idealist, but I think when once the agreement is made, that it's off the record, it's off the record. Um, mm-hmm. Now that said, I mean, reporters, you know, that doesn't mean a reporter forgets it after the, he hangs up the phone, uh, <laughs> that that or, or, or she hangs up the phone. Pardon me. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, like I mean, I that's that's a sacred, uh, you know, uh, trusting a reporter is essential to to their job. You you need to be able to have that trust, and if you break that trust, well, you're only hurting yourself, really. Um, but it would, but you know, this is also balanced by the fact that a lot of people will, over the course of a conversation with a with reporters, you know, throw something out there and go, oh, but but that's off the record. Don't report. Don't say that. Mm-hmm. And that's not really how it should work. I mean. It is an agreement. It has to be an agreement between two people. Um, so is anything ever truly off the record? I think, yeah, if the agreement's there, it should be off the record. But I mean I, I don't speak for for all reporters everywhere either. I'm sure a lot of people are have much more uh, wizened and bitter views than me.
0: <laughs> well, you know you bring up an interesting point, and that's something that I you know people always people, not always. People oftentimes ask me about relationships with reporters and how important they are because when you're in an industry like ours, and I'm sure many others, but I really don't know any, you know, I haven't been in any others to to, um, refer to, but I know at least in advertising and marketing, you have certain trade magazines that are covering your industry all the time, and so you do need to develop relationships with reporters and at the same time understand that they need to do their job and you need to do your job and, you know, Sometimes the two shall meet, and sometimes they, they don't. But how important is it to have relationships with you as a journalist for an agency that wants coverage, and uh, how can they build them if the, if they want to?
1: Hmm, that's an interesting question, because I, I I don't often think about it from that angle. I mean, if it certainly stands to reason that if an agency uh, or PR wants coverage, they should have a good relationship with the reporter. And I guess that's best fostered by just having a good understanding of what a reporter's job is. Um, I mean, if you want to build a good relationship with a reporter, you need to know that you know we're we're experienced and we're trained in a way to think of ourselves as separate from um, the PR apparatus, if you will. Um, You know, there's nothing more off-putting to me as a reporter than listening to someone talk to me as though I am a part of the. Uh, of their communication strategy. Um, I mean, it might work out to be that way in the end, but my goals are totally different from that of a PR person. I, I'm, you know, I, I have to get my story, however I can. Uh, and a PR person's job, occasionally, not always, but occasionally, is to uh, make sure that they're involved at as many steps of the way in getting a message out. Um, I think just just becoming familiar with 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 the reporters in your in your in your industry and and understanding the pressures that are on them is probably the first and probably the best step in getting a good relationship with them. Because um, as you say, it's two very different jobs. Um, and I think if, with that understanding, yeah, people probably are going to get better coverage just out of, out of respect for where everyone's boundaries lie. I don't know if that really answers your question, but it's not something I've honestly thought about from your side. <laughs> it
0: sounded good. No, I think, I think that answers my question. Um, okay. I have another question about the Internet, because as a PR person, and you, you might think that this wouldn't be the case anymore, but a lot of times it really is. You know, when, when I pitch something to a journalist and they say to me, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not going to put that in the magazine or I'm not going to put that in the newspaper, but, but I'll put it online. You know, and and I know that my client or you know the people at my company want to see it in print even today. And I guess and I I understand it's changing, but even today, you know, people would prefer also if it's in print for the most part, not for everybody. You know, just a little disclaimer. But does a peer person then have a right to say to you, listen, if that's the case, I you can't have it?
1: Do they have the right? I mean. I don't know. That, that seems a little bit ridiculous to me that somebody would would call me up and, and give me information and then and then say, "Well, will that be in the print?" If I if I say no, that's not what we would do in print. They say, "Okay, well then, pretend we I didn't tell it. you any of that." Mm-hmm. Um, that I mean, yeah, you, a, pers- a PR person is going to choose their level of cooperation as they see fit. Um, but that said, if someone gave me information and then and then refused to cooperate after that, I, I would. I would certainly pursue the story if I felt it worth pursuing.
0: And you um, would blog about it. <laughs> I might
1: blog about it. I might. Uh, I mean, it it really depends. Uh, this has never really happened to me yet, but you know, I, I understand that a lot of people want to end up in print rather than online. Uh, yeah. you know, I think it's still seen as the the bastion of, of, of quality journalism, and and you know, it, it's really changing. Uh, people as magazines and, and newspapers integrate online into their offering. Really, what that means is there, it's it's one more venue for more timely information. So, if you look at marketing our magazine, we tend to put the hard news, the most breaking news, into our daily, which is which is our email news blast. Um, and and some people don't like being there as opposed to in the print mag because it's just online, quote unquote. Uh, but they don't realize that there's not really space in the print magazine for that kind of news. We tend to look at in, at stories from a more developed uh, you know we, we follow stories long term in the magazine we, we analyze things in the magazine hard news is it, for us anyway is meant to be online um, so I mean is it, within, is it within a PR person's right uh, yeah, of course they, they dictate the terms of, of their organization's involvement uh, but that said uh, I mean it's unreasonable to expect any journalist you know worth their weight to not follow a story that, that their audience would want to hear about
0: well let me you know, I, I let me try it in a little different way in the sense, you know, it sounds in a lot of ways exactly what you say, so it's a little more exclusive in a way to be in Mm -hmm. the print magazine, in the magazine in print than it is online because you're, you know, you're always looking for hard news to put online. So let's say that it were, you know, that it was like a campaign or a profile of an agency that interested you or something like that, and the PR person said to you, well, look, I I really am looking for a story in print on this. Would you sort of feel the same way about it, which is it's your choice whether you, you... you know where you want to put it, or would it be a little bit different if it if it weren't breaking news that you were you know you felt you mm-hmm. had the right to break because you knew about it, and it was like a something else. Would you feel differently?
1: Um, I might I, I, I might advocate um, because realize you're you're speaking to uh, a writer and a reporter rather than an editor, and ultimately yes. these decisions do do lie with editors. Um, if I felt the story was deserving uh, of being followed, I would probably advocate with the editors. Um, to, to make room for it in print. but um, I mean, uh, I'm also competing with the other writers and with the editors themselves for that space, and the editors are the ones who are going to make the call. Um, I guess it really depends on if the story is deserves to be in print. I mean, and that relies on the PR person knowing the publication very well. If, 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 if there's a fit there, uh, if there is a logical place to put that story, if it's a campaign or, or whatever, uh, then, yeah, they, they can totally advocate for a spot in print, I, I suppose. Uh, and, and if I felt the story was worth having, I would definitely advocate on their behalf.
0: That's an excellent answer, and, and, and I'm glad to hear it. Let's take a very quick break, and Good. when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about what's actually on your blog. All right. We'll be back right after this.
1: Sit tight and don't move. The Hook will be back after this short break.
0: Can you believe how long it takes to order food here? Uh, here we go. Excuse me. She's not even looking over here. Great service is hard to come by. Whether you're sitting at a bar, restaurant, or creating effective search advertising campaigns. Um, excuse me. it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years, offices worldwide, they've got answers you need. Check them out today at bruceclay.com. Bruce Clay Incorporated. This is Market Edge.
1: Paul Gillen. He writes the social media column for B2B Magazine in his new book, The New Influencers.
0: Tell us about your book.
1: It's about how influence works in an environment in which everybody is essentially equal. Anybody can talk, anybody can say whatever they want. There are no rules, no governing bodies, no standards boards. And yet out of this, a remarkably sophisticated system of governance is emerging that is really something I think marketers need to understand.
0: Market Edge with Larry Weber, Tuesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and on demand after the show inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. Find Webmaster Radio now on Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. Add us today from the webmasterradio.fm homepage.
1: Now back to The Hook.
0: The intersection of advertising and PR.
1: Only on webmasterradio.fm. Now, here's your
0: host. Welcome back. Today I am talking with Jeremy Lloyd from Marketing Magazine. Hello, Jeremy. Hello again. <laughs> so, we were talking about blogs, and I really enjoy reading your blog and I was hoping we could just talk about some of some of the recent ones because they're, they're sure. this chip and the supergirl is so funny can Can mm-hmm. you just talk a little bit about what happened there
1: well, sure uh, uh chip Wilson is uh, the, the brains I guess behind Lululemon, the uh, athletic wear company, and uh, he came into town. Um, to Toronto, which is to say, uh, to talk about um, girl power and how that kind of contributed to his company's success. Um, and he talked about growing up in a divorced household and, and how he'd been exposed to a lot of different definitions of, of womanhood and femininity and, and that sort of thing. Um, and for the for the most part, it was a pretty good talk. I mean, he, he has this kind of off-the-cuff, uh, casual way of talking um, And he was kind of reading without notes for the most part. Uh, He didn't really have a script. Um, And I guess it was just the way he delivered a couple lines really took, really, people took a step back from what he was saying. And and what I blogged about, um, aside from the news coverage, was just the way he was delivering his lines and the reaction of the audience. So, so for example, he, uh, I'm just bringing it up here to make sure I I read it correctly. Um, He was talking about, uh, how times are are different now compared to, of course, the 50s and 60s for women in the workplace. And he said, uh, now we've found a middle position where neither males nor females feel inferior to, uh, so that we can have a straight discussion about the pros and cons of females in the workplace without some female or male coming out with a lawsuit. And he kind of paused between female and male as if he was kind of catching himself um, and uh, I think I think that could have been interpreted a couple different ways. Um, and I, at the time, I kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt, uh, but a lot of people at my table didn't, and, and kind of sent back a little bit. And you could tell there was a reaction there, like like maybe this guy uh, does have a bit of an agenda. That, that's how I read my table anyway. And he kind of went on, and, and, and uh, there were a couple other lines that I mentioned in the blog um, that that people really reacted to, um, and they kind of, at least at the fringes of the room where people were able to mutter without. <laughs> without being right in front of him and being rude, um, people were kind of dismissing what he was saying after that because everything was kind of shaded with this idea that that maybe his his pro woman message is is shaded by some uh, maybe outdated ideas. I guess you could say. Um, and so the blog the blog entry is really more about the audience reaction to this event. Um, this news of him, because apparently Chip Wilson doesn't talk in public all that much, and and a lot of the other daily papers picked up on the fact that he that he had come and talked about Lulu Lemon, but no one really reported on the audience reaction to what he had said. So,
0: well, maybe just a reason he doesn't talk in public much.
1: Uh, well, you know, <laughs> if you're going to read without uh, without a script, you got to be ready for that kind of reaction.
0: <laughs> but see, now that to me, this is the fascinating thing about you know, about the Internet and one of the many fascinating things about the Internet and and a blog where before, you know, you you mentioned in your blog where someone um, said, oh, he's an enlightened Neanderthal. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, where before, like a comment like that would have just stayed in that room and been done, you know, now it's it's on the web for everyone to see and everyone to read and everyone to come back and say, and the whole thing, I can't believe the guy, you know, Said these things, so mm-hmm. it takes on its its own life because it it doesn 't go away
1: yeah, and I mean th- this is the big conversation about the blogosphere and and this now public li- inadvertently public life that everyone leads online because yeah, blogs have totally re uh the social persona of just about every public figure because there is no downtime there is no off camera anymore yeah it 's really interesting and I mean uh, I mean, I, I can't speak for the, for everyone here in marketing, but from my perspective, the blog is an opportunity to kind of find those stories. Like, we, we still aspire to have journalistic standards when we blog. I mean, I'm not doing this just out of, I don't just blog everything that comes to my head. I, I do try and, you know, back things up and talk about things that are relevant to my readership. I'm not just gossiping, or at least I hope I'm not just gossiping. Um, But, you know, this stuff is relevant to my readers, I think, and people do want to know these things. And there's not really, you know, the the marketing daily, our email blast isn't the place for this kind of story. If there's not room in the the print magazine, well, here we have this blog. And and even better, there's comments on the blog. We can go down and and see what our readers are thinking about this kind of stuff, too.
0: So let's talk about another one of your recent blogs on consumer-generated content. It says, Consumer-Generated Content, The Dark Side.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I found this... uh, I came across this really weird video of Japanese McDonald's commercials that someone had edited edited together with a rather uh, abrasive techno soundtrack. And uh, well, I, I put it up on the blog for people to see. Basically, it's just kind of this stuttering. I think it's about five minutes long. It's a stuttering and staggering uh, reimagining of the Ronald McDonald character. Um, I, it really hurt my brain to watch, and, and it made me think, Man, you know, like this could have a negative effect on McDonald's brand. I guess it's uh, it's certainly not painting Ronald McDonald in a positive light. It it makes him really annoying. So I wondered, you know, like as much as brands want uh, people to engage with them, if they're engaging with them in this manner, is it really worth it? So I just kind of threw it on the blog to see if anybody would respond, and and you know, just maybe even just to get people thinking about that sort of thing as well
0: what 's your feeling, I mean, you know last year around the Super Bowl, especially, there were so many u s mm. ads had to do with consumer generated content, and you know Doritos did a number of them, not actually not the Super Bowl that just happened, but the one before Doritos mm. did a bunch of them, um, yeah. Emerald Nuts did one. Uh, Doritos ended up running one of those ads from you know the the year before this past Super Bowl that just happened, mm-hmm. but there was a lot of fanfare about it and, and, and it kind of tapered off i mean it 's still something that you know, is pretty prevalent, but it's sort of changed, and now it it has to do more with consumers generating their own things, like on YouTube, and, and I'm wondering, what do you kind of think of that trend, and where is it going?
1: It's really interesting. I mean, uh, I was at a function uh, a number of months ago, and actually Chuck Porter was there speaking, and, and he said, uh, you know, not, more. I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said that 99% of all consumer-generated content is garbage. Um, and, and ad agencies hate it for the most part because creatives would rather poke out their eyes than, than watch some of this stuff. And, and I think that's true. Um, I, I, I guess, though, on the other side of it, brands can look at this as... It, it's really another option for them. It's another road they can go down. They, have, they pay their agencies uh, or their in-house uh, marketers to, to cultivate brands and brand stories and, and polish stuff, and they can draw from that whenever they want. If they have an engaged consumer base, then that's another option to them you can you can go to that engaged consumer base and say, "Hey we're, we want to give you the chance to put together a, a thirty second commercial and if it works, it works it's great and uh, you, you generate even more commitment from your from your uh, consumers but if it doesn't work well then they don't have to uh, they don't have to adopt it they don't have to run it anywhere public that'll hurt their brand too much so I, I guess. It, I guess if I were a marketer, I would be looking at it as just one option, one, one arrow in the quiver, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I have probably seen more bad CGC than good. <laughs> and uh, I think if, if I had a million-dollar marketing budget, I would probably trust the professionals first <laughs> and see what they said first. Yeah.
0: Trust the professionals. Let's just talk. Just you know, we we've been talking all about the internet and blogs and how it's changing the magazine industry and what you're looking for mm. in the magazines and outside of it. And and I had John Finon from Business Week who covers media uh, a month or so ago, and I I talked with him a little bit about the future of the magazine industry. And and I'm interested on in your take of of it, on it from an industry perspective, and as someone that actually works at a magazine. I mean, do you where, where do you sort of see the magazine industry going?
1: Uh, certainly changing um, I, I used to actually cover uh, magazine media in my last job before I was here so I had a lot of conversations with publishers and advertisers and owners um, I, I think the consensus is that um, it's not going to die in the near future but it's certainly going to change um, they're going to stop being exclusively print products uh, just because they're going to follow the ad dollars basically Um but that's, uh, you know, it, yes, they're going to change, and no one's really figured out the, the formula yet. Um, but, you know, it's, in some ways, magazines are a lot easier than than television. You, you have, it's more direct access to a known quantity, a known quantity in terms of consumers and, and, and audience. Um You know, whenever people talk about what's going to happen to magazines, the first thing that pops in my head is, you know, TV was supposed to kill radio, and radio in some quarters is surging right now. Uh, Ad sales, at least around the Toronto market, you know, are are pretty good, pretty brisk. Um, Magazines, obviously a different creature, but I'm inclined to think that, you know, after a rough patch, it'll probably find its footing. It'll probably end up being a slightly different product. A magazine won't just be the piece of paper you hold in your hand. It'll be uh, you know, a, a brand that stretches from print to online to uh, events uh, and, and conferences that seems to be the way that most good magazines, you know, make their money. Um, I, I, beyond that, I don't really know. I think it's still a little bit too early in in, in the hike to know
0: mm-hmm.
1: what, where the pinnacle of the mountain is and when we're going to fall off the other end.
0: Because uh, it seems that, you know, that tr- truly... Um, you know, magazines that, are, that have spent all these years building themselves up and are a brand that people recognize and relate to. I mean, they have so much invested in their name and their brand. If they can figure out a way to get, you know, to make money from it, it seems that clients will go there. You know, I think clients would go to, you know, a magazine site and put video on it if, if, uh, and if magazines could figure out how to charge for it the right way. Then, then that would be a whole other, you know, outlet for them.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and that's the key, though. It's finding a way to charge the right way. I mean, yeah. rates for, the, for that kind of material still are all over the map and, and incorporated in different kinds of packages. And uh, I certainly don't have any kind of informed opinion on what the right way would be. Uh, but I, it looks like it's going to be trial and error for a while. Someone's either going to have to come up with a drastic innovation or we're just going to have to keep high-lowing it until some kind of median is found, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I honestly have no idea where, you know, the remunera- remuneration is going to even out, but I think that's the the key stumbling block at this point.
0: Well, talking about the future, I want to ask you one more question, which is looking forward, what are you most looking forward to cover in the coming year in the industry?
1: That's a that's a tough question. There's a lot going on. I guess because I, I tend to focus on... Um, ad agencies, I'm curious to see w- how agencies are going to be marketing their online capabilities in the next year or two, um, or their social media capabilities in the next year or two. Uh, because I, there's a couple different ways that agencies in Canada at least are marketing themselves. They tend to either splash out and say, hey, we have a social media division, or uh, or they just kind of more quietly mention it, I guess, to their, to their clients. It, there's a all different kinds of integration models. And uh, they all seem to think that they have uh, a unique way of doing it, but the language they all use to describe their (laughs) unique way of doing it is exactly the same. Um, So I think it's going to take a bit of time for that to to reveal itself, whether or not they are actually all different or all the Mm -hmm. same. Um, It's going to be interesting to see how agencies market themselves in the next year. I think that's what I'm most key to, to find
0: out. Well, will you come back and tell us what you found out at the end of the year?
1: Definitely. If you still have me, I'll I'll be glad to come on again.
0: (laughs) Jeremy, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. My pleasure. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
1: You too. Bye-bye.
0: And thank you for listening. That's all we have time for today. So please join me next Tuesday for another episode of The Hook.